Romans chapter 7 in your Bible. Don't stand yet. I want to say a few things before we, we read that scripture. We've been in Romans now for a little while. The Lord has allowed us to go through that book so far from beginning to where we are today. And uh, this morning I want to remind you about what we've learned so far a little bit. We have uh, looked in chapters 5, 6, and 7, especially tonight we'll begin chapter 8. But in those chapters we've talked about the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. It's not been necessarily taught that way, but Paul certainly indicates that and implies that in his teaching and his word. And so the object of walking in the Spirit, it's not hard to begin walking in the Spirit. It's really not. It's not hard to know which way God wants you to go. The hard part is to continue to walk in the Spirit. And that's what we're going to address today. How do I continue to live and walk in the Spirit? You know, the problem that we face is that we forget things and we have need to be reminded. And so today, let's remind ourselves of what we've learned so far. So far, we have learned that we know, not that we think might be or may be, but we know that God has taken the old man in us and crucified it on that cross 2,000 years ago. We know that. The second thing I want you to be reminded of is that we are to consider that old man dead. Right? We don't have to listen to him anymore. We don't have to follow him or allow him to be in charge of our life. The third thing we need to be reminded of is that we need to yield ourselves to the new man. When you became a Christian, this all became real for you and true to you. Even though it happened 2,000 years ago, on the cross, Christ took that old sinful nature that you possess and he crucified it on that cross 2,000 years ago. Now, you became a Christian, suddenly that becomes alive. And you understand that. And now you consider that old man dead. And the second or third thing you need to do is to yield yourself to the new man that has moved into you. The born-again experience, the life of Christ living in you, that's what we need to learn how to do. This life that God wants you to live is a light in a dark world. God wants you to shine in a dark world. If you don't think you live in a dark world, you haven't turned on the news lately. We live in a dark world. And so God saved you, crucified that old man, gave you a new man so that you could be a beacon of light in a dark world. And I want you to know that life is possible. It's possible to live that life in this dark world. Now, today we're going to look at two reasons we miss that life as Christian people. Two reasons why we fail to live that life in Christ. In chapter 6, we talked about how Christians can stumble into sin. We can stumble in it and we can stumble into it. Because we give in to sin. Why do we give in to sin? Because we like it. I mean, if we're really going to get honest with ourselves, the reason I do those things, I may not want to do them, but the reason I do do them is because I like it. Now, you wouldn't want to admit that to God, certainly not to anybody else, but it's the real reason that we stumble into sin. We love that darkness of that sin more than we love the light of God. And so we stumble into sin and we can end up remaining in that sin. In the last half of chapter 6, we learned about the individual sin and what happens to us if we remain in that sin. 
That sin, even though you are a Christian, it will end up defiling you. It will end up shaming you, limiting you, and corrupting you. You can be a Christian and still dabble and live in that sin if you don't yield to the new man. Amen? So there's a battle that takes place. That's why I named this sermon today, Saved into Battle. Before you were a Christian, you weren't in a battle. You were already an enemy of God. But when you became a Christian, now you are saved into this spiritual battle of dark and light, good and evil, righteousness and wickedness. And you may not realize all of that is taking place in your life, but I promise you it is. Every time you're tempted to sin as a Christian, this battle takes place in you. You have been instructed by God to crucify the old man, to understand that he has been crucified, not you crucify him. He's already dead. Consider that and then yield to the new man that is in you. Paul is going to teach us today about that very experience of this yielding to the new man. So though you are a believer and you're dabbling in this sin off and on, here's what happens. You become miserable and unhappy. Now you know why so many Christians walk around with a frown on their face. Now you know why we don't rejoice when we sing about God. Because we're really unhappy with ourselves because of the sin that we have gotten ourselves trapped in again. Amen? You see that? So here's what needs to happen. That's the first way that we miss the life that God intended for us to live, is we dabble in this sin. The second way that we miss the life God intended for us, this freedom in Christ, is exactly the opposite of the first. And what I mean by that, I mean this, that you are determined by your strength and your will that you will live the Christian life. And you will do it to the utmost of your ability. And you have determined that you will do your best. You will fulfill all the requirements that God lays out to be a Christian. And you will appeal to do what is right. That sounds great, doesn't it? But you know what that is? That's legalism. So now, here's the idea. The reason Christians miss living that light life is because they dabble in sin, they are, they are uh, dabbling in the sin, or they are committed to the law of God. And they're going to do it by their own strength and their own will. Now you're becoming pharisaical in your thinking. Do you see that? You've got to understand that Jesus came and crucified the sin and the law. Paul says and teaches us that we are dead to the sin and we are now dead to the law. So here is where we find ourselves this morning. We determine to do what's right, but the result of that, doing what is right by committing myself to keeping the rules, I become critical of you. If I'm keeping the rules, but I can look at you and you're not keeping the rules, I become critical of you. And then I start taking pride in my record Look what I'm doing. Look what I've done for God. Look what I do every Sunday morning. Look how I act. Look how I dress. Look how I talk. We become critical as legalists. 
And then we become proud of ourselves because of our track record of legalism. Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 6, Paul teaches us there's no need for that. There's no need for legalism and there's no need for being trapped in sin. Look in verse 6 with me. And after we read this, then I want you to stand. Verse 6 says, but now we have been released from the law. Wait a minute, Brother Clay. I, I thought the law was for us, given to us to walk in it and, and, and to, to live by it. But here Paul writes to us in verse 6, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So Paul writes to us that in actuality a Christian sin has died. I'm, I'm dead to sin. How can a dead man sin? Remember we learned that? A dead man can't sin, so I'm dead to sin. Now Paul's showing me that I'm also dead to the law. The law has been released I've been released from that because now I'm supposed to live by the Spirit. Remember we talked about the Spirit filling our vessel and the Spirit is what drives the body. And so it's not the law keeping the rules that saves me and it's not the sin. I'm dead to that sin and I'm supposed to be now dead to this law of legalism. So how am I supposed to live? I live by the Spirit who fills my vessel. Now let's stand together and we're going to continue on and understand and realize what Paul is teaching us this morning. Here we find ourselves in verse 7. Let's read. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me let's stop there and pray father bless your word today and teach us lord slow me down that i can speak what you want me to say father and give us your wisdom and your truth this morning and help us see how we are to live as christian people this day in jesus name amen you may be seated thank you some people believe as paul writes what shall we say then? Is the law bad? I just told you we're crucified to the law and we're crucified to the sin. Now, does that mean the law is bad? And Paul says, no, it's not bad. The law is good, actually, but you don't live by the law. You see, if you live by the law, then you are not under grace. You're trying to get to heaven by what you do. If you keep the rules and you keep them good and well and perfect, you can go to heaven. The problem is we can't do that. So the law is not saving us. It's actually killing us because we can't keep the rules. So Paul says, does that mean that the law is bad? Look in verse 7. 
What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Jesus said that no one should mess with the law of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't change one mark of the law because it will stand forever. So I can't go in and change the rules so that I can make them fit my life and I can be good about myself or feel good about myself. The Lord says you cannot change the law. Don't change it. So the law cannot save me. Then what good is the law? It shows me what sin is. The sin that I have been living in my life. This sin that I'm supposed to have died to. This sin as a Christian that I dabble in once in a while because I like it. The Holy Spirit uses the law to show me the wrong that is within me. The wrong that I'm doing by the sin that I exhibit. And so that in turn drives me to my knees. I'm dead to the sin. I'm dead to the law. But the sin that I live in, the law shows me the wrong. And then it drives me to the Savior. The law can't save me. I can't keep that. But it drives me to Jesus. It points me to Jesus. It says, here's the one who lived the law. Here's the one who died for you. Here's the one who lived the perfect life. Here's the one that you can turn to to save you. And so the law can't save me, but it points me to the Savior. You see what that is doing? And so as we come to the Savior... The law exposes us. And look what Paul says in verse 11 about the law. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment or the law, deceived me and through it killed me. The law kills. Why? Because you can't live it. The wages of sin is death. So sin kills me. The law kills me. Man, we're hopeless, aren't we? What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's read on and find out. There's two uh, examples that Paul gives us here. The first example we read about the law and how it works. All right? And then we're going to read the rest of Paul's chapter 7 and see how the law makes us feel or how it feels while we're violating the law. The first one is Paul's personal experience from verse 7 on down. Now, let's read verse 7 again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. What commandment is that? The tenth, the last one. Amen, it's the last covenant. And so Paul, think about Paul for just a minute. He says, I would not have known, I would have grown up not knowing that I shouldn't be coveting if I had not read in God's law that I shouldn't covet. So Paul, imagine this, he's a Jewish boy. He is a, a man by now, but he grew up a Jewish boy in a Jewish home, and he was taught the law of God. And he was raised in that Jewish tradition, and he was taught all of those things, and he lived a sheltered life in Tarsus, where he uh, was born and, and was raised. 
Just like many of you were raised in a Christian home, you were sheltered from the things of the world. Amen? We were sheltered from this and sheltered from that. And then we come to the age where we move out. And now all of the upbringing that we have been taught and all of the Christianity that we've been taught, Paul was taught Judaism. Paul was taught Judaism. And so he moves out of the home. He becomes a man. He may have gotten a wife or may not, but he moves out of the home. And now he becomes hanging out with crowds of people. And this crowd of people might be good friends, might be fellow uh, students, might be people that work with, might be friends of your friends, or might be friends of your kids, or your kids grow up and go out of the home, and all of a sudden peer pressure starts becoming an issue. How many of you know about peer pressure? Amen. We all know about peer pressure, don't we? And so all the things that Paul was taught, suddenly now he runs into this problem of coveting. And he says, I wouldn't have known not to do that if I hadn't read it in the law, but now I know it. And now I've gotten out into the world, and now everything I see, I begin to covet. I never coveted before, but now I read that you shouldn't covet, and all of a sudden that awakens something in me, and now I start coveting. Now I start wanting, and now I start doing. You know, coveting is not just admiring something and saying, wow, I like that car. Or, wow, that's a beautiful car, or that's a nice house. That's not coveting. Coveting is where I manipulate my life to achieve that. I start going out of bounds. I start rejecting God's way and start going another way to achieve those things that I admire. That's coveting, all right? And so God tells us not to do so. Paul succumbs to that pressure, and in verse 7 he says, now I would not have known coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But look in verse 8. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. You see that? He said, Paul said, it's become a problem for me now. I can't stop coveting things. Because, why? Because, we'll learn why here in just a minute. I don't want to burst the bubble yet. So the battle begins for Paul. And what he knows to be true and right and not coveting, he battles with that as a young man, as a teenager, as a, as a young adult. He begins to battle all these things that he knows should not be true. Why? Because there's something inside of him that's pushing back against that law that says, do not covet. And Paul says, now I'm finding that I covet all kinds of things. That could be one of the commandments. It could be any of the commandments that men struggle with, that women struggle with, that you and I struggle with, right? And so something inside of him pushes back and the battle begins. I want you to think about this. The, the other commandments are all external, things that I'm supposed to do or say. But only this one is, is an internal coveting. I mean, is an internal commandment. It, it, it speaks to the desires of my heart. It speaks to the uh, imaginations of my mind and the ambitions of my life. That's what this coveting does. It speaks internally. And that's much more difficult for us to handle this internal sin than it is the external sin. And so the law 
increased the wrong that was inside of Paul. When he read it, it was like a monster inside of him, laying still and quiet until he read, don't covet. And then all of a sudden, all he could do was covet. It'd be something like this. If I asked you not to think of elephants, okay, uh, I want you to not think of elephants. Now, what are you thinking about? You're thinking of elephants. It's the same idea. Sin is like a monster lying quietly in all of us undisturbed, untouched, until this temptation comes. And we know thou shalt not commit adultery. And all of a sudden, that monster awakens in us. And now all we can do is think about committing adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Quietly laying in us until the temptation comes. And the temptation comes up and taps on that monster laying inside of me. And now all of a sudden, all I can think about is taking things. That's how this works in us. It's not our fault. It's the sin that's in us. Okay? We inherited it. Now, it is our fault when we succumb to it. But it is not our fault that it is there. We inherited this sin nature. And so it's within every one of us. We all experience that. Amen. We all fight that temptation and that pressure when sin awakens in us. Now Paul says, is this the law's fault? Is the law at fault because it's showing me these things that are laying in me and awakening them? Well, let's read verse 12. So then, the law is holy And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful." So Paul says this in reality. Look at me. He says, is it the sins? Is it the lost fault that this sin is in me and, and it awakens this sin when I'm tempted? No, it's not the lost fault. The law is good. So if it's not the lost fault, who is its fault? The sin that's in us. It's his fault. It's that fault. This sin that's in me that I don't want in me, that I don't care about, that I wish I could get rid of. That's what's at fault in me. The law awakens that. And it points it out to me. And it shows that there must be something done about it. And there must be some kind of a a correction to happen in this. The law exposes the evil that is in all of us. Just waiting for the moment to awaken. And to cause us to do things that we never thought we could do. Have you been so ashamed of something that you've done that it just almost brings you to tears? I have. I've done things in my life and I look back on that and I think, man, how could I ever have done that? I didn't want to do that. I didn't try to do that. It just, it happened. What's happening to me? What's going on inside of me? It's the sin that is in me. And the law awakens that when the temptation comes. The law goes up to that monster, knocks on his door, and he says, he's being tempted, wake up. And soon I find this temptation is stronger 
than I am. And my will is overrun by this sin and the temptation of it. I don't want to do it. I try not to do it. I run from it, but it just keeps chasing me down. And soon, all of my willpower and all of my drive and all of my want melts away. And I fall prey to that sin that's in my life. That's what Paul is describing this morning to you and I. Why do we struggle so much with this sin that is in our life? It's because it can overpower us. It is greater than us. That's what Paul shows us in these first few verses, 7 through 13. Now, that experience of what, how, the, how the law works is what he's explaining here. Now he wants to go and show us how the law feels when we do something like this. Get past the elephants. Don't forget, don't remember the elephants anymore, okay? Now let's look in verse 14. We've seen what the law uh, does. Now we're going to see how we feel when the law happens. And in, if you'll notice, and I, I'm sure I have to bring this to your attention anyway, 7 through 13 are in past tense. This is what Paul was experiencing as a child growing up. And he learned about all the sin. Now, in verse 14, he goes to the present tense. Now he's a man, and now he is experiencing the same sensation, the same situation with sin, but now it's present tense. Now he's going to show us how we feel about this. Let's read verse 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Now, I told Preston earlier, verse 15, only a golfer can understand that verse. Okay? Only someone who plays golf. You practice and practice and practice, and you end up doing the very thing you hate. Right? If you don't know what that means... Uh, if you get on the tee and you want to drive the golf ball down the fairway and with a big slice and you hit a big hook, okay, that is terrible. And you do the things that you don't want to do. And that's what Paul is describing to us. Now let's go back to verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Stay with me now, church, come on. Last week we talked about the vessel and we talked about the vessel being filled with the Spirit of God. Right? And so when that vessel is filled with the Spirit of God, then the acts of God come out in my hands, in my mouth, in my life. The Spirit drives the body, remember? So Paul says that the law is spiritual. It reaches down into that vessel and touches my spirit. And it makes that come out into my life in actions of Christianity. The law is spiritual. It touches that which is in with side of me. But living under the law... We don't operate by the Spirit. If I live by trying to keep the rules, then the Spirit is null and void in my life. Because now I'm getting to heaven by keeping the commandments. And the Bible just said, the law kills me. But so many people try to do good things to earn their favor, earn God's favor to get to heaven. They need to read Romans 7, don't they? The law kills you. It doesn't save you, it kills you. And so when we try to live under the law, then we're not being led by the Spirit, 
Because the sin in us is deceiving us. So what do we do? Let's go on. Look in verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law confessing that it is good. You understand that? If I want to live by the Spirit and be operated by the Spirit, but I still do the things I don't want to do, then I have to confess that this law is good. It's pointing out to me the sin in my life. It's pointing out the wrong in my life. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not bear false witness. All of those, all of those commandments, we can understand what Paul is saying to us now. Verse 17, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Whoa, wait a minute. I, I thought I was the sinner. You are. But you're a sinner because you sin. And you sin because sin is in you. We are not even closely aware of the evil that lays asleep in every one of us. What do you think about these people that go out and kill mass murder students at a school? What's happening there? I'll tell you what's happening. That monster was asleep until the temptation came. And awakened in that man. And then he committed horrific acts of sin. Right? I'm sure that guy wasn't like that all the time. But something happened and awakened in him. And he was falling prey to that temptation of sin. And it took over his life. And he went out and did that. You would almost think subconsciously. Amen? Who in their right mind could do something like that? So what my point is, is this, that you and I have this sin that's within us. Paul is writing it, and he's showing us, verse 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. There's two people there in that verse as an example for you to understand. There's me. And there's I. Paul talks about the sin in me, but then he talks about the I don't want to do that. So there's almost like two people inside of every one of us. Me and I. Me is the sin. I is the wanting to do what's right. So Paul says when I end up doing the wrong, it's not I. I want to do what's right. But why do I do what's wrong? The me, the sin in me, the sin that's dwelling deep inside of me, the sin that has been uh, asleep in me, the sin that needs to be overcome. So 
I want to do good, and I agree with the law that it's good, and it's right, and I want to do what's right. But something in me says no to the good, and suddenly my determination melts away, and I end up doing the things that I don't want to do because that beast is awakened in my life, and I succumb to the temptation because of the sin that is within me. If you'll go back to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to go to heaven with one hand than it would be to go into hell with both hands. Now, did Jesus mean for you to cut off your hand? Of course not. That would be contrary to other parts of Scripture that talk about your body uh, being a, a holy before the Lord. And you don't go around mutilating your body. So what does he mean by that? He means this, that the me, the sin in me, runs my life. It runs it. But the I want to get rid of the me. I don't want sin in my life. So Jesus says, cut it off. Cut the me out. Get rid of that sin. Now, you don't do this alone. The Lord has given you a new man. And believe me, he is more powerful than the old man that still wants to run your life. And so the Lord says, succumb, surrender to this new man, and I will get rid of that old man for you. I lived 34 years battling that old man. I lived 34 years wanting to do what was right and always ended up doing what was wrong because the old man was the only thing in me. It overwhelmed me. It overpowered me. But then I gave my life to Christ. I just surrendered to him. I died to myself and Jesus moved in. And now the new man is more powerful than the old man. The new man is Christ. The old man is Adam. Remember, we talked about it. He's greater than Adam. He's stronger than Adam. He's more powerful than Adam. And he can move things out of the way if we would surrender to this new man. Jesus says, cut it off. Cut the old man off. Get rid of it. Your willpower will never be enough to overcome the sin that is in you. Your determination will never be enough to overcome the, the sin that is in you. So now let's look at the other side of the problem. We, we know how it feels. We don't want to do wrong. We just end up doing it. And Paul tells us it's because of the sin that's in you. So what am I going to do? Let's look at the other side. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Now, would you have ever thought that as a Christian, you've got evil in you? I, I wouldn't have really thought about any of you in that way. But here's what the word says. It's real. It's true. This evil is within us. It is present within all of us. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members." 
wow, this is one of the greatest Christian men that ever lived. And he's battling spiritual warfare in his life. As a Christian man, he says, I see this principle in me that I want to do what's right in my inner man. And I agree with the law of God that is good. But I find another principle in me that sin is in my hands and in my heart and in my mouth and in my mind. And I find that this sin is greater than me. And I can't overpower it. And I can't stop it. And I can't change it. You know what he's doing here? At this moment, Paul is revealing to us what it's all about. The sin that is within us. We've all fought that, haven't we? We all have become weak. We all have failed. And we all have become angry with ourselves. And we said to ourselves, what's wrong with us? Why do I keep doing these things? Because of the sin in you. That's why you do it. So what's the way out, Brother Clay? How do, I, how do I fix that? We have to come to the cry of verse 24. And Paul says this, Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. What is this? This is where Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the man who comes to the end of his self. Blessed is the man who realizes he is spiritually bankrupt. Blessed is the man who has nowhere else to turn to overcome the sin in his life. This is the only place where God can offer his help. Learn this, church. You cannot fix your life. Your willpower is not enough. Your determination is not enough. If you think they are, then you have not come to the end of yourself. The Spirit of God stands before you with his arms folded like this. And he's waiting. And he's watching you. And he watches you try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. You're going to get your life fixed. You're going to turn it around. You're going to turn over a new leaf. You're going to make a New Year's resolution. You're going to stop drinking. You're going to stop the drugs. You're going to stop the smoking. You're going to stop the lying and the gambling and all the things that the Bible preaches against. You're going to stop it. And the Holy Spirit watches you try and fail. Try and fail until you cry out to God, wretched man that I am. And then he opens his arms to you and he'll receive you and he'll take you in. And he'll give you that new man and he'll give you that new life. Until a man cries for that, he will not find the answer. And so what is the answer? Paul gives us the answer. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, brother. Amen. 
Amen. Feelings are answered by facts. All right? It's not a feeling that you're going to get your life fixed. It's not a feeling that you receive the Holy Spirit. It's not a feeling that this happens or that happens. We have to go back to the facts of Scripture. Amen? Remember this morning we started at, know that the old man was crucified on that cross. He's been dead, but you keep trying to resurrect him. You've got to consider that man dead. Understand that and know it as a fact. And then you must also yield yourself to the Spirit of God, to the new life of Jesus Christ in you. So when that temptation comes, you don't answer it. You don't go to the door when it's knocking. You simply turn to Jesus and say, would you answer that door for me? And Jesus will go to the door and he'll answer the temptation and it's gone. It goes away. And you say, hallelujah. And then another temptation comes and knocks on the window. Jesus, would you go take care of that? Yes, I will. And he goes to the window. It goes away. And it goes away and it goes away and it goes away. And you are now experiencing the life of the light of God in you. And you've done nothing. You're not living by the law, and you're not living by sin. You're living by the Spirit of God, filling your vessel, and He takes care of all of it. Wretched man that I am is the cry that we all need to give. Who will set me free? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Free from sin, free from law. The power for the first time in my life to say no to the temptation because it's dead. And I realize that, and I consider that. I read a story about a man, a pastor in Canada, and he was from Russia, and he had moved to Canada, and he was concerned about people in Russia, so he would spend most of his life getting Bibles into Russia. And he kept his citizenship there, and he would come to the border of Russia with Bibles in his trunk. And on the first trip that he made with a fellow friend, Christian, They stopped about three miles from the border, and the pastor said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I I can't go through with this. What if something bad happens, and they throw us in prison the rest of our life? And his friend said, why don't we pray? Ding. And so they stopped, and they prayed. And this man prayed, God, I'm here. I'm surrendering to you. I want to do what's right. I want you to act. I want you to your will to be done. If you want us to go in prison, we'll go in prison. But if you want us to deliver these Bibles, we'll deliver these Bibles, but I'm going to put it in your hands right now. They drove to the border. They stopped in the line of cars. They got up to the gate. The soldier asked for their papers. They gave him the papers. He said, what do you got in a trunk? Pastor says, boxes. He said, open it. He went back there and opened the trunk. The soldier looked in the trunk, boxes of Bibles. The pastor knew he was going to ask what's in those boxes, but he didn't say a word. He said, okay, shut the trunk, gave him his papers back, got in the car and drove to deliver the Bibles. God acted on behalf of them, for God's will is going to be done. You've got to surrender to that in your life. You've got to understand that God has a will and a purpose for you and that keeping the rules won't get you to heaven and living in that sin won't bring you what you're looking for. 
but only surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His Spirit filling your vessel will you find truth and life in this world. Some of you here right now need to cry out that wretched man that I am. You have you stopped short of that. You haven't given your heart to Christ. Oh, you've been trying to be good. You've been trying to go to church, man. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you get to heaven, right? You go to church. Oh, I can fight these sins on my own. I can overpower them. But the more you try, the more you find that you can't. And you fall deeper and deeper into sin. And the law won't save you, and the sin won't rescue you, and nothing will happen in your life until you say, Wretched man that I am, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, bless this moment as men and women in this group make a decision about their life and about you and what is happening in this world for them. I pray that you help us all to see that it is sin in us, and we can't overcome it or overpower it. But, Lord, only you can, as you have and as you will, set men free even today in this place. Let your spirit move. In Jesus' name, amen.